This is Mike Bartolomeo, pastor of Church for the Harvest in Alexandria, Minnesota. The Bible is the Word of God. Within its pages are revealed God's perfect will and plan for mankind, the answers to life's hardest questions, and instructions on how to live a victorious Christian life. I believe the following message can change your life if you will let it. Join us now as we share the Word of God today. It's an honor to be back with you. It's been, oh, several years. Anyone remember when we were here before? Oh, praise the Lord, there's only a few of you. I'm very grateful for that. But uh, a little bit about my background, just very quickly. I'm originally from New Jersey. How many of you won't hold that against me? I know when you say New Jersey, you get all kinds of reactions. I'm actually from the Jersey Shore. There was a TV program about people that were not from there. That we're not, but I am. And I don't know what that means, but I figure might as well tell you anyway. I'm also Jewish uh, by birth. And so those are two important facts. Number one, New Jersey's not in the Bible Belt. Secondly, being Jewish means I wasn't raised anywhere near church. I was addicted to heroin, involved in drugs and insanity on the streets, and I ended up being put out of the state of New Jersey. But one day I was uh, in a high school assembly. I turned 19. I had an interesting high school career. I was enrolled in four high schools, expelled from one, uh, attended three. All of that is crazy. But one day I was sitting in an anti-drug assembly. And frankly, I didn't think there was anything new to tell me, so I didn't pay much attention. But as I sat in the balcony, all of a sudden I felt something brush across my face and I heard a voice. Now it wasn't a booming, loud, audible voice, but it was what I call today the whisper. How many of you have ever heard the whisper? The voice that said to me, Hanko, listen to this guy. He's got something to say because you do not know everything. Now that was a word from God for sure. And I began to listen more with my heart than with my mind. And I I looked a little different than I do today. I was about uh, 70 pounds lighter than I am, had long scraggly hair, pierced ear, and eight hairs hanging from my chin in a desperate adolescent attempt to grow a beard. It wasn't working for me, guys. I see a lot of full beards here today. I really wanted to be like you, but it didn't work. But as I sat there, I felt compelled to talk to this fellow. Uh, I didn't know why. I really didn't care for him outwardly, but there was something about him that I wanted. And I'll make a very long story short. I borrowed a car, walked out of school, chased him 20 miles, and we ended up at a root beer stand parking lot. And uh, we began to talk about three things, drugs, rock and roll, and Jesus, which was a great three-point sermon. But as I sat in the front seat of a 69 red and white Malibu Super Sport Chevy, nice car, and I listened to what he was saying, and most of it went over my head because I had no idea about Christianity, even though I was born in America, the most highly educated, densely populated, wealthy part of this country, no clue about anything about Christianity. And yet I saw something in this young man And I wanted whatever he had, and so I bowed my head in the front seat of his car, not even knowing I needed to repeat a prayer, go to an altar, or go through the four spiritual laws. And I just cried out on my heart, God, if you can do everything he's talking about, then go on ahead and do it. 
Jesus, since you were the gutter, I've been in the gutter, and I'm out of options. And I made an amazing discovery that day many, many years ago that Jesus Christ is not religious, but that he will answer and honor the sincere heart cry of any man or woman, boy or girl, who'll call on him. Funny thing of it is, it's just a few months ago, I was back in this little town in Lawrence, Kansas, and I wanted to find where that root beer stand was years ago. And so I located it. It was an A&W then. It's a Sonic today. And so I went there and I found the pretty much exact spot that that car was parked. And I'm, I'm doing what we do today. You know, I'm taking a little selfie video and talking about how Jesus did something. And all of a sudden, one of the workers from Sonic, she comes out and starts walking towards me. And she's got a look on her face. And so I stopped. I said, I bet you want to know what I'm doing here, don't you? Uh-huh. We've been standing inside watching you. <laughs> so then I began to tell, I said, right here on this spot, 48 years ago, Jesus Christ changed my life. And I began to tell a little story about my life. I said, now, don't worry. I'm going to go back in my car, get my wallet, and I'm going to come order something. She said, what would you like? I said, a limeade. How many of you like Sonic limeades? I said, I'm going to get a large one. She said, that's okay. It's our gift to you. Well, praise the Lord. But anyway, I got to share my story and get a free limeade. Hallelujah. But really, from that moment on, the Lord drafted me into a lifetime along with Nancy of being missionaries to America, although we've been around the world. But I'd like to begin by looking at John chapter 19 with you here today, beginning in verse 28, and I'm going to read from the New Living. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Here we're looking at Jesus, who has finished his earthly life. He's hanging on the cross, and he knows his mission on earth at this time is finished. You know, earlier this year, when the great evangelist Billy Graham went home to be with the Lord, 99 years of age, Billy Graham, an amazing man, no matter where he went, you knew what he was all about. Even if he was in, in, in an underdeveloped country, as soon as Graham walked on the scene, people knew who he was and what he was all about. His work continues incredibly today through his son and his grandson and so many extended ministries. But yet when Graham passed away at 99 years of age, I believe he too could have said, it is finished because his earthly work is done. But as I'm here at a great church that has been bold enough to have the name Harvest as a part of of its name. What's clear to me, it's not finished. The work of God is not finished in the world today. Would you agree with me on that? You see, there's a word that I must look at with you here today. It's a word that excites some people as we move ahead following God. 
And it's also a word that strikes fear, terrifying and paralyzing other. This word produces action or resistance. It's the word change. Now, during an election time, many candidates run on the platform of change. You elect me and we're going to change things. We may cast a vote hoping for change. We move to a different location. I've done that. Looking for change. We may change jobs because we're looking for something better. Some people may even switch churches looking for a change. Of course, that doesn't happen here. Amen. Praise the Lord. You see, without a doubt, change is a part of what life is all about on planet Earth. From the moment we are birthed, change occurs moment by moment by moment by moment. Every moment of our existence on this planet. Webster's Dictionary helps us bend our mind a little bit more around the word change. The word alter or to make different in some particular way. The word transform in order to make radically different. To make a shift from one to another or switch. All of these things have to do with this multifaceted definition of change. I've discovered that Christ followers, how many Christ followers are here in the house today? This is the time to fess up, raise your hand, nod your head, say something. You are a follower of Jesus Christ. Come on, let me hear you now. All right, that's good for the front section. I believe the word of the Lord will come a second time. How many of you are followers of Christ here today? Oh, good. I know I wasn't clear the first time. I've discovered that all of Christ's followers are intended to be agents of change in the world we live in. As a matter of fact, the greatest agents of change on this earth today are the people of the living God. Let me give you a little background here. Change is an integral part of Christianity. When Jesus came on the scene initially, religion as it was known changed forever. When Christ, and I love how Colossians brings this out, when Christ makes his home in your heart. Ladies, how many of you, when you move into a new place, you make your home there. You make it your own. You put your little things up, your little knickknacks, your pictures. You put the furniture the way you like it. The house begins to take on your fragrance. You make it your home. And think about that in the context of Jesus Christ making his home in your heart. Wow. There's a change, isn't there? Let me just put it this way. If there was no change in your life when Jesus came in, I don't think Jesus came in. That's just my thought. Because just the very presence of Jesus Christ in a person's life lovingly and yet distinctly and firmly brings about change. I mean, what do you call forgiveness? Cleansing, healing, deliverance, all are connected to God-type 
change. Taking a mere human from darkness to light, death to life, old life, new life, all of this is change. You see, Christianity and the gospel and the church of Jesus Christ are to be transformative. Say that word with me. Transformative in nature, practice, fruit, and evidence. The word transformative, again, according to Oxford Dictionary, is causing a marked change in something or someone. The Bible speaks a lot about change, now doesn't it? Uh, one of my favorite verses these days is Proverbs 4.18. The path of the righteous grows brighter and brighter. Sounds like a little change to me. You're just getting brighter and brighter. That's all right. How many of you want your life to get brighter and brighter? Amen. 1 Corinthians 15.41. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In other words, in the final time, we will be changed. I like Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. This is a real challenging verse. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, in other words, listen up. Hey, yo, look at this. Behold, now I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. How many of you like new things? New stuff. These are new jeans. These are not go hang out. These are go to church and preach jeans. That's why I wear these particular jeans. I like them. I have Italians hanging in my closet, but I prefer jeans. I just thought I'd mention that. <laughs> Behold, now I want, look, you can even buy a used car and put a new car smell in it. We like new. Behold, now I'll do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I'll even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. You see, the Bible here is telling us to recognize and embrace change. We're speaking of change today. How many of you experienced a change when you turned your life over to Jesus Christ? I surely did and still am, incidentally. I would venture a guess that you would agree with me that our world, nation, and even this community all need change. Am I right? What I find interesting is that with all the earthly elements, the co-creator of the universe, Jesus Christ, chose two common elements to describe the lives of his followers. You can probably guess what they are. We find them in the Gospel of Matthew, beginning in verse chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by man. You are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor, the, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The two elements Jesus chose to describe us are two common elements in the world that we live in that affect change wherever they are. Salt. 
and light. I repeat, the greatest agents of change in the world today is not the man or woman who would sit at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, D.C. It's not the governor. It's not the United Nations. It's not our mayor. It's not our city council people, although they all have a degree of power and influence. But the greatest agents of change in the world today are God's people, me and you. Not only are we to be changed and continue to embrace change, but we are designed to be agents of change. Now I want to take a look with you this morning at two common elements, at these two common elements that exemplify the life Christ intended for us to live. Element number one is salt. We just read the words of Jesus. You're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now, these are some pretty specific statements, aren't they? Say this with me. I am the salt of the earth. We're going to say it in one sentence. I am the salt of the earth. This applies to every believer no exceptions. We are to remain salty. Now, I know at times, there was a time that if you said somebody was salty, you meant he was a crusty old guy. He was kind of foul-mouthed, and that's not what we're talking about. But to be salty is to be Christ-like by the grace of God. If not, our kingdom usefulness on earth is nullified. Ouch. Now, we're past that point. But what is salt used for? Well, you guys know that. Absolutely. On one hand, salt is a preservative. The Christ-like presence, not the self-righteous presence, but the Christ-like presence of believers raise the level of morality in their immediate surroundings, let alone a potential for larger scale impact and influence to a vibrant body of believers proactively, biblically engaged in their community and surroundings. That's a mouthful. You know, Pastor Mike mentioned the Mardi Gras outreach and some of you have been there. You take a million people that come from all over the world to get crazy, drunk, naked, weird, and insane. And then there might be grand total 1,500, 2,000 Christians on the streets. It is still incredibly rank. It is like, uh, you know, a, a nightmare that equals MTV reruns, uh, you know, horror shows, perverse X-rated stuff, all rolled into one in living color right in front of you. And it's still pretty crazy, but I've often had this thought, what if... No Christian showed up there. The lid would be totally off of this Pandora's box of perversion and evil. Our presence, here's a thought. Have you ever walked up to somebody, you didn't have a big electric cross hanging from your neck, a 500-pound family Bible with a holographic picture of Jesus on the front. You know, the eyes of Jesus just look all over at you. 
You didn't wear a T-shirt that says, Jesus saves sinners from hell. You just walked up. And they were in the middle of telling a dirty joke, using foul language. And they go, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. And they start to backpedal and try to clean up. Have you ever had that experience? That is really an example in a very small, personalized way of you being a preservative of some level of righteousness and morality. That our presence, as we're Christ-like, affects others. Another aspect of salt is that it creates a thirst. My own story, my own testimony. You see, the young man that led me to Christ really was living like the salt of the earth for Christ. There was something about him that I wanted. I didn't know what it was. I thought he played music in Hollywood. I played a little music. I thought, well, we get a music connection, man. And, you know, I can play in Hollywood, Hollywood. Well, no, that wasn't it. But there was something intangibly different about this guy that I wanted. I didn't like how he dressed. I didn't like how he came off. But there was something different, and I made up my mind, I'm going to get it. Beg, borrow, or steal, it's going to be mine. He was being the salt of the earth. And we create that through our words and our deeds. We, in our life, creating a hunger and an appetite and a thirst in others for what our life is all about. The effectiveness of salt depends upon a couple of factors. Look, in the motel we were staying in, man, we walked up here the other day, and there was salt all over the front. I grew up in New Jersey. I know what it's like to put salt out all the time in the winter. Salt depends upon potency. How much like Jesus are we? It also depends upon proximity. Having a bag of salt in the garage does no good, does it? As soon as there's a little ice, you pop that bag open, you rub that in. Salt has to get up close and personal. You and I, to affect people for Christ, we get up close and personal. We interact with folks like that. Jesus said, go into all the world. As salt, we have to infiltrate and go into the world that God's placed us in. Staying in the salt shaker doesn't work. As a matter of fact, isolation severely impedes our kingdom impact and influence. Element number two is light. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. Anyone getting anything out of this message? I'm not going to preach anything else. I just thought I'd ask midway through. You see, I often feel like I'm a recruiting agent for the kingdom of God, not to join my ministry. Because the world is so desperate in need of the people that have Christ. It's an amazing time for harvest. And the Bible says that we are of shame if we sleep during this time. In Proverbs 10.5. How can we who possess such a great salvation not be used by God. You see, our life has been bought with a price. Am I right? Which means we can't sing Frank Sinatra's song, I Did It My Way, or a little updated version, John Bon Jovi, It's My Life. Can't do that. 
somebody bought us. And he knows a lot better than we do what our life was designed for. Element number two is light. How many of you are grateful for what God's done in your life? I am so grateful. Many of the most mornings Nancy and I pray together, unless we're zipping out in early morning, and most of our prayer time is, is punctuated with thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, I have grandchildren. How many of you don't believe I'm old enough to have grandchildren? Now, you were nice the last time I was here. How many of you don't believe I look old enough to have grand, teenage grandchildren? Okay, it's getting better. Next time, I know it'll be 100%. I won't do that. My two growing grandsons spent the night at our house. And come morning, we had no breakfast food. So you know what that means? I get up, I climb into my car, and I go to Mickey D's, McDonald's. And I order the two big watcha watcha pancake, egg, sausage, biscuit, breakfast, whatever, so I can feed these boys. And, you know, you pull up to the box and you order in the box. Then they say, you shall pay. At window, I pull up to window number one. And the lady looks at me and says, sir, the man in front of you paid for your breakfast. I'm curious. I hang my head out the window. I don't recognize the pickup truck. But I did this. Thank you! So I could be heard through the parking lot. I was ever so grateful for him buying my breakfast. I had plenty of money to buy McDonald's breakfast, two of them for that matter. But I was so grateful. And whenever I hear somebody mumble that Jesus died for my sins, I'm going, are you serious? Are you serious? He paid the price for every wicked, evil, nasty thought, word, deed you ever did. Every lie you ever told, every time you shortchanged somebody, he paid for that with his blood. And all you're going to get with Jesus died for my sins. Hello? I'm grateful. We are designed to be agents of change. The second element that Jesus likens our life to. As I said, you're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. It gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. When we choose to become Christ followers, a verse comes into play in Psalm 37, 23. The steps of a good man and woman are ordered and directed by the Lord. You know, God doesn't lead your life by the big things. What is my career? Who am I going to marry? What am I going to... God doesn't lead your life primarily by those large points. He leads them by steps. Now, if you get out of step, you won't connect the dots to the larger things in life, but he leads your life by steps. God's desire and design, my friends, is to uniquely and strategically position you to reflect his light 
through you to those who are in darkness. Your position is not to be hidden or cloaked, but to be set in a place to radiate his light to the world around you. How is this done? As we walk and talk, model and articulate Christ's life inside of us. Our light in our life points the way for others to Jesus Christ. We can brighten the dark lives of others. The two elements, salt and light, they affect anything and everything they come in contact with. So should we. Acts 1.8 says this. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall not be not do witnessing, not go witnessing, not do a mission trip, but you shall be witnesses. We were in Cuba. The Lord has opened up a phenomenal door for us to continually go to Cuba. I'll be going back there for my fourth time in two years in just a short time. And I was listening to a group of uh, on our team, and one man stood up and he began to talk about all the mission trips that he did. And I, man, I was grateful. But it dawned on me, and I'm not being super spiritual or self-righteous. I thought, I don't do mission trips, and I don't do outreaches. Jesus said, you shall be witnesses. And the things that I do is really not me doing them, but it's being a witness and it's an overflow expression of what God does because I've wanted my life to count beyond the things that I do in that sense. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, everywhere, anywhere, beginning here and all around the planet. We are destined to be his agents of change in the world that we live in. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are Christ's representatives. As though God were pleading through us, and he is the pleading God, a voice to the community. This community is not radiating and booming out of heaven. It's coming from men and women of God like me and you. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Friends, what if we chose to live like this? There's three words that can help define your life and your walk with Jesus Christ. A while back ago, and taking a little reflective moment or two, I realized three words simply define my walk with Christ, and I want to quickly insert those in your heart and your thinking. My life verses Acts 20, 24 in the New Living. It says, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Three words help define that for me. Number one is the word purpose. Thanks to Rick Warren, we are the purpose-driven everything on this planet today, and I'm grateful for that. But Psalm 20, verse 4 reads like this. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all. Say the word all with me. When God says all, what does he mean? All your purpose. The definition, the reason for which something exists. Why do we exist? Hey, to honor and glorify God, to reflect the image of Christ by becoming like him and do the things that he did. 
Knowing our purpose is extremely beneficial. It gives meaning to our life. It makes our life more simple. When Pastor Mike had asked me to come, he didn't know how much I loved to sing. And you're glad that he didn't know that. Believe me, I knew that coming here, I didn't have to look for music, this or that. I came to speak to you. My life is a little simpler that way. Knowing your purpose helps bring you into focus. Now, I'm going to let you in on a little family interaction in my home. There are times my family will look at me and go, Scott, focus. I probably had ADD before they invented the initials. Too late. It's my friend. We work together now. But it helps bring you into focus when you know your purpose. It provides motivation. It gets you out of bed and gets you ready for eternity. The word purpose helps define our life in Jesus Christ. The second word is the word mission. Mission, according to Webster, is a ministry commissioned by a religious organization to propagate its faith or carry on humanitarian work. Jesus in John 17, 18 said, Fathers, you've sent me, I have sent them. We begin to uncover mission in life. Hey, Acts 10, 38 tells us Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were pressed to the devil. Anyone ever calls you a do-gooder, say thank you very much. That's evidence of the faith of God. If you claim to have faith and you don't do good, you don't have faith. you got just too much carbonation inside of you. Jesus went around doing good and helping folk who were all messed up. I'd have been at the head of the line. How about you? John 10.10, part of the mission, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I like the phrase life-giving church. I've been to the others. When you walk in and you shake hands with an usher and you get frostbite. When you look at his shoes, he's not wearing anything but ice skates because it's first church of the Frigidaire. Everything is cold and frozen over. We've come that you might have life. Hey, a little smile helps bring life. How many of you know that? The greatest tool for sharing your faith is a smile on your face. I want you to serve the God that I serve. Yeah, well, you look like you need a psychiatrist. I'm not going there. <laughs> 1 John 3, 8, part of the mission. The Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Let's start here. Everything the devil is for, I'm against. That's the starting point. You know, you talk about spiritual warfare, people get weird. There's three ways to effectively beat the devil. Number one, Get your heart and your life right with God. Secondly, you can engage the enemy through empowered prayer and intercession and worship, not just entertaining music with religious lyrics. Thirdly, you can defeat the devil by leading people to Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what, when I got saved, there were less drugs flowing in my neighborhood and less people who were about to get robbed because I got saved. Hallelujah. And the case is true in a lot more areas. In Los Angeles, the Dream Center in the Rampart Division, one of the worst areas in Los Angeles, crime dropped over 70% because they were out serving the community, bringing people to Jesus Christ, and helping those who were hurting. Luke 19.10, part of our mission, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever lost a 5 or a 10 or a $20 bill? Don't raise your hand. We don't want to cause issues. What did you do when you discovered it was missing? 
with, go through what you have on, what you had on yesterday, last week, that sweater you're about to get rid of. You check the pockets one more time because you're looking for something of great value that's missing. The mission. If you're looking to identify your purpose and your mission, look to your elder brother, Jesus Christ. How many of you are the younger brother and sister in your family? You're the youngest. You're the middle. You're the oldest. You don't raise your hand on Sunday morning no matter what the preacher asks. I had two younger brothers, one 11 and a half years difference. I was as much a bit of a dad as I was that, but then there was then a brother. But then I had a brother four years difference, and he always wanted to hang out with me. He wanted to be with my friends. He wanted to play ball with us. We let him play. Sometimes it was the ball, but we let him play. But I've discovered you could call younger brothers and sisters by another nickname, me too. And if you're looking to discover your purpose and your mission and direction in life, look to your elder brother, Jesus, the Bible calls him that. And you can find him as a great example. And some of the things that we've talked about when he said, as you've sent me into the world, Father, I've sent them. But the third word that's helped define my walk with Jesus. Purpose and mission are established fully, non-negotiable for every Christ follower. But it's the word assignments. The things that God tailor makes for you. The people God has tailor made for you to connect. The situations, the places. Every week when I'm in a different part of America or outside of America, I don't believe it's a calendar booking. I believe it's a divine appointment that God leads us when we sit on an airplane. At times, it's because some I, our seat is assigned, but I believe at times God has assigned somebody next to me. Sitting on an airplane, on my way to go speak, I'm trying to refresh myself and, and, and just going over my message again, and I think as soon as the door's closed, I'm moving to an empty row, and I don't move. And for some reason, the guy sitting and so I open my Bible and the notebook, and the guy sitting next to me looks at me and he goes, because he sees a Bible, and he goes, are you a preacher or something? I said, yes, and then I went back. I mean, I think it's good if a preacher studies before he speaks. So I went immediately back. Then he asks me another question. He said, is God real? I'm trying to be spiritual and prepare to go minister, and you ask me these questions. So I close my notebook and close my Bible. And I look at the fellow and I breathe a prayer kind of, Lord, you'll have to help me with these folks when I get there. And I began to talk to him. And this guy, husky, you don't have to use your imagination, but he really got a great physique. <laughs> and he's tattooed from shoulder to wrist, both arms the Confederate flag. He's got a gitter done ball cap on stubble beard, and he's slamming down crown royals and chasing it with a Heineken. For now, those of you that were raised in church, he was drinking a lot of hard liquor and following it up with a beer. <laughs> and as I began to talk to him, he starts to cry out, out loud on this plane. Dear God, if you had a cell phone, I'd call you. I'm tired of the life I'm living. I grab his big old hand. I'm a little nervous. He's got one arm around me, and I'm taking one false move and snap my collarbone like a pencil. <laughs> Serious. 
But I grabbed his big old hand, and we began to pray there. And he was praying so loud and crying out so loud, somebody passed up an Alcoholics Anonymous brochure from further back in the plane. That happened. But then I stayed in my religious self. Yes, I'm a minister. I'm preparing to go speak. But if I stayed locked into that little zone, that man's life never would have been touched by the Spirit of God at 30,000 feet. What if we chose to live our life as the salt of the earth and the light of the world? What if we said, Jesus, I want you to use me. You've given me so great a salvation. How dare I keep it to myself? You see, you were designed from eternity past to be agents of change in a world that is desperate for change. Where does change begin? In the heart of a man or a woman or a boy or a girl. You may say, well, Scott, I'm not a great preacher. Let me tell you something. I am an introvert. My wife would attest to that. My family is divided in half. My daughter and I, we just are kind of quiet folk. My son and my wife love our great conversationalists. But Jesus decided to use me not as a research nerd tucked away in a closet someplace with a computer or a stack of books and researching the depths and secrets of the kingdom. No, when I, three days after I gave my life to Jesus, I ended up at a little youth retreat. I don't even know how I got there. And the preacher was preaching in the back and he preached a sermon. And I don't know what he preached, but I Hadn't been to church, so I couldn't rebel against the preacher. I just did everything he asked because I just fell in love with Jesus. And he said, I want you to come down to the front. So I came down to the front. He said, I want you to get down on your knees. So I got down on my knees. He said, I want you to lift up your hands as if you're lifting up the entirety of your life to Jesus Christ. So I did that too. He said, I want you to say these words. And the words that I said then, I'd never heard them. You would probably know them by heart and could say them without thought. But I lifted up the entirety of my life. I said, Jesus, here's my life, the good and the bad. Take it, do with it as you will. I'll go where you want me to go. Say what you want me to say. Be what you want me to be and do what you want me to do. In Jesus' name. Crazy. Jesus was listening. Imagine that. Because I have this picture today in my mind that he was sitting there and went, I heard that. Gotcha. Now, I'm not going to use you according to your natural inclinations necessarily. You're going to do something you'd never do on your own. You're going to go into all the world and preach the gospel. You're going to help countless amount of people do the same thing. You'd never do it on your own. You're going to need my help. <laughs> and that's why I'm here today. That's why I've spent the entirety of my life, my wife and I, traversing this planet to some of the greatest places and some of the craziest places and sometimes the same place to let people know that Jesus Christ will change their life. What if we were to live our life this way? It's not finished by any stretch of the imagination. And to be in a church with the name Harvest, folks, we must, we must it may not be going to all the world and some of the wonderful places, the wonderful mission outreaches of this church are amazing. It may be around 
the corner. It may be out of your life into the life of somebody else with a smile and the heart of God being expressed. Would you close your eyes with me for just a moment here? I'd like to ask you just two questions. Make it, make, share one thing with you and turn the service back to pastor. In just a moment, I'm going to ask for those of you that would say, Scott, I, I will choose to live my life as an agent of change with the help and power of the Holy Spirit. I want God to use me. Some of you are stretching in that way and you're serving, but folks, with all that's going on and all God's given us, we can't help but give all to the one who paid the price. But before I can do this, I must ask you this. You're here today, and there's a one, this is a wonderful house of God. There's a wonderful presence of Jesus here today. But I've got to ask you this question. Are you here today? And if the truth were to be known, your heart and your life is not right with God. Friends, going to church is wonderful. But going to church never made anyone a Christian any more than living in a garage turns you to a car. It comes when you understand that Jesus Christ did pay the price for everything wrong, every sin you've ever committed against God, against yourself and other people. And he said, if you would come to me, I will forgive you. I will make your life brand new, whether you're 10 or 110. I will give you hope. I will give you life. I'll cleanse you. I will change you if you will let me come in and work on the inside. It could very well be that you are a believer, but life happens. Things occur. Things are done to us. We begin to engage in things. We get pulled away from Christ. And while we can be in the house of God, our heart and life is not being lived honoring God. And you're here today and you say, Scott, I want to make my heart or my life right with God. For the first time or renewed time without anyone else looking around at this moment, you say, that's me. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. You're saying, pray with me. We will do that in just a moment. But you want to make your heart or your life right with God. Let me see your hand right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put those down. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Several are responding to that here today. There's never been a greater hour to hold back nothing from Christ who held back nothing from you. Secondly, I want to ask you this question. And you say, Scott, by faith, I want God to use me as an agent of change as the salt of the earth and the light of the world, influencing others. He created me. He recreated me to be that. But I choose to allow him to use me that way. Christianity isn't a spectator sport where we watch others. It's not meant to be lived in the bleachers, the grandstand, or the few, but in the arena of everyday life every day. That's where it really counts. And you say, I want God to use me as salt and light and an agent of change in the world that I live in. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but to stand to your feet. And if you raised your hands a few moments ago to make your heart or your life right with God, I'm going to ask you to join these standing 
to their feet right now. You want to be an agent of change? You're saying, I need to make my heart or my life right with God. I'm going to ask you to raise your hands to the Lord as if in a sign of surrender. And the several of you that raised your hands to make your heart or your life right with God or to recommit your life to Christ, I'm going to ask you to really be bold and step out of your seat and join me right here. Don't worry about anyone else. But I'm going to ask you to be bold enough to join me here. So many, several raised their hands. I don't want to embarrass you. We're called to stand firm. We're going to pray together right now. A twofold prayer. No shame, no embarrassment. The first will be with those that are making that heart right with God. The second will be to be used by God. Let's take a moment, first of all, and thank God for his goodness. Before we pray together, Lord, we thank you for your goodness, your loving kindness, your grace, and your mercy. Let's begin to pray out loud right now. Lord, All, let's all pray this together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your goodness and your loving kindness. You've done more for me than I could ever deserve. You gave your life holding nothing back on the cross. Not only did you die paying the price for my sins, but you rose again, proving that you could bring forgiveness, healing, and a new life to me. I exchange the life that I'm living for the life you died to give me. Live inside of me, Jesus. I choose to follow you. Now, I want you to lift up your hands as if you're lifting up all of your life to the Lord right now. We're going to pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, again, thank you for your loving kindness and goodness. Here is the entirety of my life. Do with it as you will. I choose to be what you said I am. The salt of the earth and the light of the world. An agent of change. I will go where you'd have me to go. I will say what you'd have me to say. I will do what you would have me to do, and I will be what you'd have me to be. In Jesus' name. Now let's give God an expression of thanks. Can we do that, Lord? We thank you. We love you. We honor you, Lord. We honor you, Lord. Thank you for joining us today in the ministry of God's Word. My prayer today is that you will experience a new revelation of who Christ is in you. Feel free to make as many copies of this message as you like. For more information about Church for the Harvest scheduled ministry times and meeting place, please visit us at churchfortheharvest.com or contact the church office at 320-759-1400. At Church for the Harvest, you belong.